0: good morning welcome to thy strong word I'm Pastor AJ Espinosa we're reading the entire Bible together one chapter at a time here we are in Isaiah chapter 62. it just continues this exuberant joyful proclamation of what God's about to do again in that local context this is the devastated land of Judah, no temple, no city of Jerusalem but here they are in faith saying, look it's coming and I'm not gonna I'm not going to be quiet until it happens um and you have this vision of this bright glorious future coming and there's it just goes on with all the different titles holy people redeemed of the lord sought out a city not forsaken uh just these these accolades here you know but for us i mean it's 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 what an interesting parallel you know like you're waiting for something for god and it just feels sometimes like when's it going to happen when's it going to happen Um, And this is really an example of of prayer, I think, that this is just confidence saying, you know what, we're still waiting and we don't see it, but man, it doesn't mean it's not coming and we're going to keep praying and proclaiming and talking about it until it does. So very, very cool chapter here uh, in this very awesome section of Isaiah here in the back, uh, six chapters here. Joining us today we have returning Pastor Stuart Crown from Trinity Lutheran Church in Palo Alto, California. Good morning, brother. How's it going? Is is Palo Alto any quieter when school's not in session over Christmas break?
1: Not yet. School's still in session until <laughs> Oh, they are until <laughs> afternoon.
0: Oh, uh, okay, okay, okay. Still still do it wrapping up their finals.
1: Well, the college students have gone home. They went home last week but the local public school children are still around.
0: Oh, Okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. But uh, how, how's it going up there in general here? Only just a few days till Christmas. I can't believe that we're just five days away.
1: Well, we're claiming the good news, as you said. A wonderful opportunity for the people who are stressed and are looking for God to speak something to them, and this is the chapter for them to hear.
0: Right. It, it certainly does, um, speak to the situation that we feel ourselves in. And I mean, it does really work to an advent. You're just anticipating it's going to come, it's going to come. It's not here yet, but I mean, it's, it's coming, you know, it, it's very much the theme that we have, uh, looking at this in, in chapter 62, like any, any thoughts about how this like, uh, kind of continues on what we've been seeing in chapter 60 and 61, because, it, it does it does seem like it it is in some ways almost even like a, just a continuation of those like it like it could have been one just big chapter almost like the way it just kind of continues on what what do you think
1: it reminds me of uh regular weekly preaching and the hearing of the word each day that yeah. is our old adam still needs to be beaten down and the new man the encouragement of the spirit with the words of our lord and there is that the joyful repetition that we have in the center of this last part of Isaiah until we have that the culmination as it might be with the Great Sabbath in chapter sixty six. So the light's getting brighter. It's getting brighter. It's not the brightest yet, but um, God's turning up the real stat, turning up the switch with this yeah. preaching.
0: Yeah, I I could imagine this as like a, as a pretty awesome sermon series, you know, there in (laughs) post Babylonian Judah that, yeah, I mean, like it's, you, you can almost like kind of picture it like every week. It's like, there's another message here and it's like, it's coming, it's coming. And like, you know, it's, it's crazy because for us looking back on it, you know, with all this uh, time afterwards, I mean, it's like, you know, gosh, how many chapters is Isaiah going to keep saying like, it's coming. Right. But like when you're living there in the midst of it, I mean, you you need you need this message. You need the reminder. You you need the the encouragement because I mean, to go on for just years and years and years. I mean, remember, like the the exile in Babylon was like seventy years. That's a long time to hold out hope.
1: It certainly is. Not only for your own generation, but to teach your next generation and your children's children the very same hope, the very same constancy.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and turn to the text today. As we get started, would you say a prayer for us and for everyone listening here in these last several days of Advent? Yes. The Lord be with you. And also with you.
1: Lord God, our gracious Father, your ear is always bent low to the cries of your people. Whether we are crying aloud or whether there are the whimpers of our hearts burdened and bruised by the waiting, We implore your gracious Father now to illumine us with these words, by the words of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit, that we may know these words and take them to heart and thus be encouraged. For though the days are dark, your light is always strong and illumines our hearts and minds, that we may press on to the joy that is before us, to dwell in eternal glory with you and your Son and the Holy Spirit. Father, for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord.
0: Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's turn here to this first section here. So it kind of very neatly breaks up into to three portions here. The first part and it's just five verses, so we'll just go ahead and take it that far. But um, it is a shorter chapter, only 12 verses, so we will have a chance to, I think, talk in a little bit of depth about everything going on. We can kind of break it down uh, once we have a, a chunk read and put before us here. So here's the first five verses of Isaiah chapter 62. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nation shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name and that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, My delight is in her." And your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. So, a number of things going on here. You've got the marriage language again, and we've seen that uh, a couple of times here. We saw it back in the previous chapter in 61 where it was towards the end there in verse 10 that as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with jewels so i mean you got this uh this marriage idea going on here you've got the light idea right we've seen that like uh, lots of ideas of like a new dawn of watchmen in the night so it's it's tying stuff that we've that we've seen together but the thing i think that stands out to me here is this this idea of a new name That I feel like hasn't been brought up as much before in Isaiah, but here it's like you've got at least two old names here, forsaken and desolate, and then two new ones. My delight is in her and married.
1: Sure. I think that we would begin by looking at the covenant curses and the covenant blessings, Hmm. that the old names relate to the disobedience and unfaithfulness, and the covenant curses and the ravages that they brought to the land and hence the exile right and then the new name is the the grace which is the covenant blessing not that israel or jerusalem resigned would have earned those covenant blessings but uh, out of his kindness uh, the lord uh, yahweh has restored his people uh, as he promised as he joined himself to his people at the exodus at sinai Now he's fulfilling it in glorious fashion.
0: Right. Yeah. And and I think um, I can't recall, I mean, like I'm thinking there was some place in um, Deuteronomy where that really gets like laid out quickly. But I mean, it's like an image, those covenant curses, right, of like the land, they're going to look at the land. I mean, it's interesting because it does talk about it in terms of, you know, what what are the foreigners going to say, right? They're going to come, they're going to look at this land, they're going to be like, whoa, whatever happened here, why did God wipe out this place so bad? I mean, they must've been terrible. You know, they must've like done terrible things to deserve this. Um, and and it's so interesting how, I guess, as as much as the devastation was physically a problem, um, the emphasis in, in that description and the curses of, of the Mosaic law. Um, and then also here with the idea of like the new name, it seems like almost the bigger, point, besides like the physical problem, is the shame of it all, Uh, the shame in the eyes of the nations, the the shame uh, as people who bore the name of God who had instead endured um, well, what their works had wrought.
1: Yes, as if the Lord himself was responsible for the failure of the people, as if he were responsible or an impotent God, um, unable to hold back the, the hordes of the Assyrians or the Egyptians or whoever they might be. And so God must work for his name often, but it's interesting here that God is working for the sake of his people, not for the sake of his name. In Ezekiel, it's for the sake of his name, but here it's for the glory of the one who was ashamed in the eyes of the nations. And Now he's showing the nations the true glory of his bride the true glory of the one he called his people.
0: Right. Yeah. And that's that's really—so the image of marriage, right? It's, um, it, it struck me when I was looking at it in the English Standard Version. I mean, we, we've seen this before, that one of the ways that God—I mean, there, there's kind of two relational metaphors, right? One is the, the one of, of father and firstborn son. Which is emphasizing that that creation idea, right? And we've seen that before. Mm-hmm. That goes back to the Exodus, right? You know, this is my firstborn. Um, what, and if you don't let mine go, I'm going to take yours, right? Like, there's there's that you know there's the firstborn idea that Israel was was chosen before the creation of the world and is in some sense kind of like the first of of the created works. Um, and, and through Christ, we certainly see how that makes sense. Uh, then the other family language metaphor, right? Is one of marriage. And, and that's the one I think that you see, uh, unfortunately, um, probably, it lends itself so well just because of Israel's unfaithfulness because their unfaithfulness is like an unfaithful spouse, um, who, who keeps leaving, who keeps wandering, who has this wayward heart. Right. And so, um, but but yet God remains committed, and so those those are like the two family metaphors we're used to seeing with God and His people. But there, in the ESV, it actually says, "Uh, it's an it's an interesting translation here." It says in verse five, "For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you." Um, I I don't know. There's other translations that do something different there. What do you what do you think about that verse?
1: Well, there is some contention over how to vocalize the Hebrew consonants with marry you, and some might prefer the word build, uh, because Yahweh is building back his Jerusalem, his Zion. Uh, I I think I would prefer to remain with the, the marry you, and lest that sound sort of strange, I think it's sort of like the be fruitful and multiply your city will be bursting Will the walls will be overflowing with people. Uh, it will be a fully populated city, not desolate. Uh, the, the one who is desolate will now have many children. I think that's truly really the sense of what's happening there. There's an intimacy, a joy that had not been present that will be visibly seen.
0: Right. Well, that's, that's, um, I mean, I think that makes sense. I mean, really we we understand that and we've seen that like for several chapters that there is this idea that the people of God are going to be numerous and that they're going to be fruitful and there's going to be this rebuilding. And, and so, I mean, as long as we're understanding that the metaphor is, is, is meaning that, right. We're not too far off the mark. The thing that, that I had read, um, and, and cause I, I guess I hadn't like seen that, 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 Mary was actually in contention there. The thing that I had seen suggested was that the word for uh, your sons there is actually very similar to the word for your builder. And so if you, right. if you took it that way, you would get, so shall your builder marry you. And I, I like that because, I mean, if, if, if that is um, what what it's actually trying to say, in, in some ways, it kind of combines both of those family metaphors in a sense because it's calling God the Builder, the Creator, right? I mean, that's that's yeah. what we actually have in the previous chapter. We saw that um, there was that what was that language? Uh, the I will beautify my house, yeah. right? And so there's God who's taking who's taking responsibility for the rebuilding, right? That He's the one who's really doing the rebuilding as He miraculously brings the Persians and brings Cyrus to provide all this out of nowhere um, and it's ex- God's expressing his commitment to to marry or I guess we might say in, in um, kind of in more modern parlance to like I don't know renew his vows or something like that. you know I mean like he's not it, he's never really left we, we've seen that language in Isaiah, even though the people feel like they've been you know cast off and abandoned. Um, they never, they never really were. God's never forgotten His people. He's always been there all along. It's only been that their sin has hidden, uh, hidden Him from their view.
1: And to render that so, your builder will marry you. Fits in well with Psalm fifty-one. Do good design, and do good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Or for the Lord builds up Zion, from right. Psalm one hundred and two. <laughs> So there is precedence
0: and singing about this kind of relationship. Right. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. It's a metaphor that's not unfamiliar. I mean, like, and that makes sense, too, because as we were saying, if this is, you know, uh, something that, you know, uh, of course, from Isaiah originally, but something that's been brought out before the people in this context uh, sometime later, as they are in the situation of uh, the survivors and, in judah as they wait and wait for restoration you know god's coming to them with these familiar words with familiar language and familiar ideas um to to console and to comfort and 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 yet as as much as that is kind of this this familiar language just the name thing again that that's it's it's striking you know um the the niv I, i was comparing it actually just gives you the names um like in Hebrew, like it says, but you will be called Hefzibah in your land, yes. Beulah, right? Um, uh-huh. Because because they actually kind of like, they do sort of like make sense as names, actually, don't they?
1: Well, yes. I mean, uh, Hezekiah's wife was Azubah, that's yeah. what. And so right. now we have the reverse of that. And, you know, it, it says something about how we, in fact, use names or name our children or the biblical names as confessions of who Yahweh is, what he does for his people. And I think in some way it's appropriate then for the NIV to use those Hebrew words, but you always have to have that footnote saying, what does this mean?
0: Right. Yes, yeah, so it reminds us way back when earlier in Isaiah when we had you know Maher Shlal Hashbaz, right? <laughs> like you've got <laughs> it loses its effect when you don't yeah. know <laughs> that that yeah. means uh, the what 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 was it here? It was like the 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 spoil speeds and the prey hastens, right? Yeah. So yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, right, exactly. Ex- exactly, but yeah, but it is it is interesting how you know like there's. There, there's multiple names and these are just two of them. We're going to get uh, two more at least here at the, you know, four more, I guess, at the end, really, um, as it's, as it's built up. So there's all these different names. And of course, it's just, it, it isn't because, you know, God can't decide on what to call this city or like, we're you know, we're like, well, maybe we should call it Jerusalem or maybe this or that or the other. thing. <laughs> no, no, no. But it's like, this this idea of name, right? Like when you, when you see the word name, it's like, it, it almost feels like a, like a too small of a translation when you translate, um, you know, like uh, Shema as, as name in English, because mm-hmm. in Hebrew, they're not, they're not talking about just a name, they're talking about, uh, they're talking about reputation, standing status, um, e- even more than that. Like what, what the thing really is in some ways, the, the realest thing about something is its name, which is like the opposite of the way that we think about it.
1: Yeah. We tend to think of name as sort of this, these the sounds that give you a handle on somebody else, but when the man is to name the creatures in Genesis 2, he speaks about the relationship and status of him as image of God and they as not as image of God. Then so right. the naming here speaks about the relationship. Uh, Yahweh is bestowing upon the, the people this kind of status. You know, it's akin right. to saying, I'm your God and you are my people, only now it's much more joyful. It's right. ecstatic,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're you're right, and I appreciate you bringing up the creation theme because I mean, like it's it's part of what you do when you make a covenant. I mean, you see this covenant creation pattern throughout the scriptures, and a big part of it is that you you have a name at the end. It's it's not any coincidence that through those days of creation, like well, what's the last part of God doing, uh, you know, each day of creation Well, he gives it a name and then he rests, he celebrates it. And like, we, we tend Mm -hmm. to think of that as like the optional part of work, right? That (laughs) like, you know, the important thing from nine to five is that you just do the thing, right? You know, we'll figure out what to call it and we'll figure out, you know, we'll celebrate it later maybe. Right. But I mean, from God's perspective, I mean, naming it and celebrating it, that's a part of Actual, the actual work of creation—it's not done until it's named and celebrated uh, by its maker.
1: Right. I think that you hit a, upon a really good point that once the man names his wife, then you find out what's going to be happening with the promise given in Genesis three. He names her because she is the mother; will become the mother of all living, and maybe that isn't simply be fruitful and multiply, but in the image of God, handing down the promises, handing down the Word, likewise.
0: Well, right, and isn't that something, too, that, like, after God does all that naming in Genesis, right, that he then allows the man to actually give the names. He's, I mean, it's, it, it kind of feels like, you know, when you're working on something, you're working on a project, you know, maybe I'm working on something in the kitchen, and then I, I, I say, Ellie, come over here, you know, and I, and I give my three-year-old, some small task and I'll say, here, you can do this, or here, you can, you can name the thing that we just put together. Right. And she'll, she'll like, I don't know, she'll, she'll, she names like the, uh, Oh, this is a bad example because it's like if I let her like name like one of our appliances or a car or something like that, like I didn't build those things. <laughs> I wouldn't know where to start with those. But, but you know, you like you sometimes actually like, let the kids like do that part, right? But it's like it's not that like you needed them to do it, right? But it's like it's, it's the part that like they can do, right? And it's like you let them be involved. And isn't it just so merciful and gracious that God lets the man like do the, the naming and even the rejoicing, right. As he looks at his wife
1: mm-hmm.
0: and yeah. and he, he says, you know, well, well, like she shall be called woman, gives her the name. And then he like, he celebrates, he rejoices, you know, like, like, and, and, and you know, of course I mean, there's everything that happens after that. But I mean, it's like God mercifully and graciously lets us be involved in his creating work.
1: Yeah, I think that you you reach into the whole issue of baptism at that point with the pastoral ministry, the instrumentation of the man pouring water and saying the word, involving us in, in the naming, as it were, as, as agency, not as the one who actually bestows the name, uh, to be builders, as it were, of the kingdom as the word comes to us.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, and there is that old tradition of like baptismal names, right, or Christian names, right? Like they're, uh, and, and so that's a tradition that's still observed in in some in some places. But that, uh, I guess, I guess it's my understanding that at least, um, at, at least in, in certain places, like the middle name was the part that was only given at baptism, right. Um, or even mm-hmm. I, I actually, I recall someone at like, my former congregation that like, that they told no one the name, like until the child was actually baptized. Right. And it was like name day. Um, and, and of course I, I think too, of like, uh, in Latin America, how there's this old tradition, we, we, we sing about it in the traditional, um, Latin American happy birthday song, but like you would, you would name the child based on um, the day they were born, and so, for instance, like if someone was born on December twenty fifth, their name would be Jesus, <laughs> right? right? So, like, th- there's like that that connection there with like giving a new name and and, uh, and baptism and Christian identity. But um, I was going to say, really, I want to give you a chance to to bring up another point here, but I'm being told already we're at time. Uh, So really quick, everybody, we're going to take a short break and then we'll uh, hear, hear some more from Pastor Crown. But hang with us. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 62 on Thy Strong Word. Be right back. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 10 states, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Find this true wisdom in Christ on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. Sharpen the iron of your faith together with two pastors as they take up the sword of the Spirit to proclaim the gifts of Christ crucified and risen for you. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. I'm Pastor Ken Bomberger. Join me weekday mornings at 715 for Orazio. Your time of scripture, meditation, and music on KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor AJ Espinosa. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 62. We just read these first five verses, and we're looking at uh, a couple different things. You know, this idea of of the light dawning, of this marriage idea, but we were just talking about the new name that the people of God receives, and uh, how how that's such a big idea. It's not just you know a label or a sound. Um, or something that you just you know you write down somewhere on a piece of paper, but we're, we're talking about you know a part of the the relationship of the covenant, talking about a part of the work of the Creator that there is a name and there's a celebration, and uh, so we we're just kind of talking about these sorts of things. I want to invite everyone who's listening live. If you do have a question or a comment for us, you can call in one 1-800-730-2727. Or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. Or you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Also, just as always a reminder, check out the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. There are underwriters. If you go to their website, lhfmissions.org, there's a really cool story that they just posted up not too long ago about Obed in Uganda, Uh, someone who... um, Uh, they've been partnering with, they've been sending resources to, to further the work of God in Uganda. It's a really, really cool story, Obed. Um, Just uh, for three years, his mother carrying him to the hospital, um, like, you know, 10 miles away every day. I mean, just crazy. Uh, But just through the midst of uh, all kinds of adversity, God just doing some amazing things in his church all over the world. And of course, uh, Obed, uh, kind of bringing us back to our discussion, is a very good, uh, very good name for somebody in the church, right? Because uh, that was uh, the oh, yeah. child of um, Boaz and Ruth, who was the grandfather of uh, King David, right? So yeah, so it's just a tradition of of these names. And I think right before the break, you were uh, about to build on this idea, like of, of just uh, the significance of names in our tradition. Yeah, so
1: just to make a, a parallel with the prophet Ezekiel, when the Lord has rebuilt the land and the city, which He has not named in all the last nine chapters of Ezekiel, the last verse then gives the name, which sounds like Jerusalem, but is not. But simply means Yahweh is in her, hmm. and that's the new name. That Yahweh is in the midst of His people, much like the Lord being in the midst of His people, where the where the uh, where the word is heard.
0: Right yeah yeah well and and that actually like yahweh is like in her or among her you know that 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 sounds a lot like what you have here in in verse four that idea uh it says what um mm-hmm. my delight is in her or oh. you know like my my delight is is with her right which w i mean what what a what a comforting isn't it, isn't it something that really like these these names are they're they're really gospel right i mean like they're declarations of gospel um you know that these these people the survivors of the Babylonian crisis you know they're thinking well god's delight is nowhere near her you know we haven't seen the delight of god in you know in, in a generation more than a generation right but tend to say mm-hmm. like you know but it's coming it's it really i think provides the background when we see in the new testament then all this language of you know, if, if you believe in Christ and, and you're buried with him and you're raised up with him, you have a new name and you see that language in Revelation, too, that you have a new name. And, you know, people ask, like, well, what, what is the name? Right. You know, like kind of as if it's like a particular, you know, there, there's like Hebrew characters for it or something like that. But it's those proclamations of gospel. That's the name. Right. <laughs> it's, it's when God makes those promises, um, the, the promises of God aren't just the things He says about us, but they're the things that finish creating us and, and recreate us, and as such, that that's our name, His promise.
1: And yeah, that really undergirds, then, like what you've just said, undergirds the all the banqueting that we have in Jesus' parables or right. Jesus' first sign at Cana, the, the joy of the wedding feast, the, the bridegroom is here, we should all rejoice.
0: Right yeah No. Right. and and it, that that celebration right that's not just like a you know an optional thing but it's like it's the right thing to do um i mean yeah. it, it's it's a part of the work it's the part of the work uh it's part it's part of like what you do when you do work that you really truly enjoy which is what god of course gave us work to do to to enjoy uh serving him you know it's uh uh, it, around this time of Advent, you think of John the Baptist, right? And when Zechariah received the promise that he was going to have a son, right? The appropriate response would have been to celebrate, right? But what do you yeah. say? Instead, he was like, well, now hang on a second. How how will I know it? How is that supposed to work, right? No, no, no. And Gabriel said, no, you're not using your mouth the right way. Um, and, but then the next time, right, when, he, when he's actually born, what's he do? He, he's blessing the name of God. And of course, he gives us the Benedictus. Which which we use in church to this day, you know. I mean, so so celebration is exactly what God, you know, put us on this earth to do as a part of our work.
1: It reminds me of Ecclesiastes that you know, in, in the midst of the trouble of this life and the burdensome nature, that uh, you live with your wife and you do your work. That is, you enjoy the work that God gave to your hands, and you ask Him to establish yeah. it. So.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and read this next little section here, pressing on in Isaiah chapter 62. Uh, The next four verses kind of form a little unit before the, the conclusion there at the end. So we read the first five, so here we are picking it up at verse six. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night, they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies, and foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored, but those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord, and those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary." So these words complementing very much the, the discussion we've had so far, right? The idea of you know God gives us this work so that we would enjoy it, right? Um, you know He gives us the the grain so that we would gather it and eat it. He gives us the the wine that we would drink it and be glad and celebrate, right? So uh, definitely there's the connection of work uh, that's that's being carried through here. Um, but I, what I really like about this section is is how it brings forth the part that was in verse one that, you know, where it says, you know, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent for Jerusalem's sake. I will not be quiet. Um, And and now here, right. He's saying like, Hey, you watchmen, you know, never be silent day and night. You be awake and you don't give, I mean, isn't that interesting the way it's put there? Um, Give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem. You don't stop praying. You don't give God a moment of quiet. You keep those prayers ringing in his ears until he answers. I mean, it's uh, it, it's that audacity of faith, right? It's like, you know, uh, it's like Jacob holding on to God and saying, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And so, I mean, here, it's same idea. It's like you watch when you keep speaking, you keep praying, and you don't stop praying until we receive this blessing that God's promised to give us.
1: I think that's a great comparison to Jacob, and then also him receiving a new name in yeah. the midst of all of that. Plus the exhortation from the small catechism, as dear children would ask their dear father. That is, children are always asking the parents, and that familiarity, that the Christian should have based upon these promises, to incessantly call upon the Father.
0: That's so right. Yeah, I, I hadn't I hadn't actually like made that connection before. I mean, like, I mean, certainly there's the. Uh, there's the aspect of like familiarity and, and and tenderness and, you know, like my, my daughters know that, you know, they can ask me for anything and, and there's that kind of, um, that boldness, but there's also the repetition, right? I mean, <laughs> like they don't stop asking until you acknowledge them, you know, it's just, papa, papa, papa. I mean, it just like, I mean, she would go on for like an Hour, you know, if I didn't like finally say something, but I mean, isn't that isn't that something the the repetition, and and then um you know of course in the as as you mentioned with it, in the case of uh Jacob's persistence, being given the name Israel, I mean it it, it is interesting again how the name we receive as a name of of blessing, it's name of gospel, like you know, and it means like you know he who wrestles with God, but I mean it, it's I mean. <laughs> what a gracious thing, right? Um, because, you know, that God would let us wrestle with him. I mean, like, you know, he could wipe us off the face of the earth, but that he would be gracious enough to to hang with us, even though we struggle and even though we strive and even though we we even, you know, uh, we, we, we mess up and we, we get the relationship wrong. And so we give him grief that that he sticks with us and he puts up with us. I mean, like, you, yeah, that's another way of putting it. Like, it's like, I put up with you <laughs> no matter what. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh.
1: So that, I think that relates to verse 8 and the idea of having both um, speaking by his right hand. And, you know, in the most of Isaiah, that relates to the work of the Messiah, especially in 40 through 66. The Lord has made this oath by, we might say, through the book of Hebrews, the Lord has sworn by his Son, by the high priest Jesus, by his mighty arm, by his work revealed, that these things will be done. Uh, Paul begins with speaking, speaking the word, speaking that recreative word that not only brings out of nothing, but also recreates out of sin and death. And that's what's happening here. What was once abandoned dead is now vigorous and living because of a word spoken. A new relationship
0: right. is started. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That 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 theme again. That it's it's that it's that creative word that's speaking. You know. Of course, going back to to Genesis again. Like you know, how does God create? Right. It's through what He says. That's the first step in every case. So, yeah. It, it's it's the it begins with the word and speaking the word. It, it ends with words with uh, the naming and the celebration. It's. Uh, yeah, definitely pointing back to you know the identity of, of Jesus Christ as as the Word, and of course that's I mean coming up as our gospel for for Christmas Day, going back to John chapter one, putting all these ideas together.
1: Hmm.
0: Well, so so here we so we have you know I, I think uh, again this second section really just complementing everything that we had in the first section. Um, you know it is interesting that you know even after the new names have been received, you know my delight is in her or with her um in your land you know married uh still still being called Jerusalem right, so that just kind of goes back to our idea that it's not as if it's you know literally renaming it like no one's going to call it Jerusalem anymore it's just you know but but the name is is more than just the, the sound you call it we're talking about it's its status, the promise the 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 what it's created to be right, by, by God, when he speaks, that's what you are. What he calls you is, is your essence, not your label, right? So mm-hmm. um, put, put, putting all these things together, the, uh, it re- really, I think for us, I mean, just what a, what a clear message to us that even as we wait during the season of Advent, uh, as we were being reminded of you know, the, the coming of our Lord Jesus, that you know, he came once, he's coming again you know, uh, to, to keep praying and to not, to not lose hope, um, to, you know, that we, that we are set as watchmen, like it says in, in verse six, you know, the church, you know, we, we are the watchmen, you know, on the walls of Jerusalem and, and we are meant to never be silent. We're, we're to keep on, to keep on praying, to keep speaking God's name, you know, like it, it, it's language that Paul draws on, right. In um, in his letters, the idea of, you know, don't be children of the, night, but be children of the day, you know, like yeah. we're going to kind of wake up early even while it's still dark, and we're going to pray um, because we know that light's coming, you know? I mean, like yeah. it's, it, we're talking about the, the work of the Church, really, uh, as it as it continues on from, a, from the day of Isaiah and the day of uh, the, the Judean survivors into our own time.
1: If, yes, I, I would like to make one other, uh, pull one other thread through this. Uh-huh. The whole idea of eating and drinking before God, right. in Exodus 34, God has the elders and Moses and Aaron and his sons, and they see God and they're not consumed. And you have the same promise here in the courts of his sanctuary. And then the the foretaste of the feast to come in the sacrament, eating in the courts, drinking in the courts of our God, he invites us to his table, and the son feeds us with that that drink of life.
0: They will sustain us always. Um, well, well right, and that, that, of course, yeah, I think, well, that fits. I mean, um, you know, with one of our communion liturgies, what do we say, um, you know, right after we have the words of institution and uh, the Eucharistic prayer? But like you, you say, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death okay. until he comes. I mean, that, that oh, that's yeah. the idea, right? We, we have this meal again and again and again. And we're not going to stop having it until we have it with him in the newness of the new kingdom, the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth. I mean, it's the, the the speaking of the words goes with this this meal that we have ahead of time, this foretaste of that wedding feast to come. So, yeah, I mean, like all these things get tied together um, in the yeah. in the sacrament.
1: Yeah, the, the watchman might be compared in a loose way to the pastor. Confessing the words, or he's saying the words of the Lord at the table, not through some magical incantation, but he's proclaiming what the Lord says. And so right. the the watch are crying out, "Here is the meal! Here is the meal! Come, people, come, and eat what you do not purchase."
0: Right. Well, well, right. Well, and that, of course, um you know, you're, you're mentioning the, the comparison of uh, watchmen to the pastors. I mean, that recalls what we read back in Isaiah chapter fifty-six, that the 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 prophets and the priests they're they're actually called watchmen they're actually called uh well they're compared to like you know watch dogs who are supposed to yeah. bark who are supposed to you know give give attention and to you know sound the alarm to give alert right that you know but they're not what, all the well but they're not right in the, in the case of yeah. chapter 57 right which which is i mean this so this is this is the turnaround right like that in this in this um, land of judah that's been decimated and that you know it has been steeped in idolatry that yeah has been speaking the name of god but has been doing so right along all these other gods right there there's this there's this turnaround that's happening because of the word of god and and here we have you know the words of isaiah are being being proclaimed by the prophet here and and this this community is changing they're they're changing from uh, th- this path of idolatry that they were on this path of, of, uh, hopelessness. And they're actually, you know, we're getting into a point now where the watchmen are actually calling the people to say, well, I mean, they're calling the people to repentance. They're, I mean, this is the work of John the Baptist. They're making uh, straight the paths of the Lord. They're making, uh, they're readying his paths and preparing the way because I mean, he's going to come, he's going to come, he's going to bring, He's going to bring back the exiles and they're going to come with everything they need to rebuild the temple. And of course, like what an image for us that like in some ways, you know, if if we're the survivors, right. Of the Babylonian destruction, you know, the exiles in in some ways are, you know, kind of everyone who's gone before us in the faith, like all those who have, who have fallen asleep. And, you know, we, we, we miss them and we want them to be here. And especially during these, you know, Advent and Christmas time, it's, It's a it's a very nostalgic time and it's a time that can be sorrowful as we as we think of all the people that we aren't celebrating with. Right. But I mean, there's this promise that, you know, get ready because God's bringing them all back. And when he brings them all back, they're not coming back empty handed. They're coming back with silver and gold and frankincense and myrrh and everything that's needed for the new heavenly Jerusalem.
1: Yeah, that reminds me a great deal of the progression from Hebrews 11 into Hebrews 12. The saints who have gone before who affixed their eyes to the promises, and that we are then to strengthen those who are weak-kneed and uh, who have uh, tired hands because we've not come to Mount Zion. We've come to, I mean, not come to Mount Sinai, we've come to Mount Zion. Right. We're there with the narrative of angels and the, the host that has run the race already. So, right. great encouragement.
0: Right, and then of course that ties back in with the sacrament is as well, right? That like when when we have that sacrament, I mean it's it's the unity of the body of Christ, which is timeless. So everyone who has ever participated in the body of Christ, everyone who ever will participate in the body of Christ, is there with us through Christ's own holy presence. That 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 sacrament is. In in a sense, that's communion, even with those saints who have fallen asleep, because if they're in Christ and you're in Christ there in that moment, then then you're together. So I mean, yeah, all all these things. I mean, it it's just uh, it's so it's so important, you know, and it's so easy to to take it for granted. But I mean, that's that's what Eucharist is. It's it is the celebration. It's it's um, that God giving us a new name through giving us the blessing of His Son. There's nothing better we could do to prepare our hearts during the season of Advent.
1: Which will lead us directly into verses
0: 10 through 12. Yes, yes. Exactly. Let's go ahead and uh, finish off the reading here, the last three verses, picking it up at verse 10. Go through, go through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken." So yeah, there we there we have those those final four names all, all added on at the end. The holy people, the redeemed of the Lord sought out uh, a city not forsaken. You know, and these are names that I mean, it's uh, really it's really something because these aren't just the names that God like whispers in our ears, but these are the names that God gives us and proclaims so that the whole world can see. Right? He has proclaimed to the ends of the earth. This is the reversal of all the shame of exile. As the, this new signal is, is lit up for the world to see, mm-hmm.
1: in, in one sense that is the fulfillment we've been waiting since Chapter Two of Isaiah, when Mount Zion will be elevated above all the other possible mountains, and the Gentiles will stream there. Gentiles will come in through these city gates. Uh, it's the the mystery of Ephesians three, where it's both not it's not only Israel to Jew, but it's israelite and gentile the nations will come here for instruction um, in right. jesus ministry then to the gentiles bringing them into the city by faith it's a wonderful uh, move to the new testament that isaiah gives to us that, that fifth evangelist or the old testament evangelist
0: right well right yeah and we, we've talked about that how you know like throughout Isaiah you know there has been this idea I mean going back to you know before we were in kind of the Babylonian section and we were dealing with the Assyrian stuff that you know how, how after the Assyrian crisis there really was like a an in gathering and uh people came back to Jerusalem there were all those people who were resettled up north in Samaria and some of them they they came down to the city of Jerusalem and celebrated Passover with King Hezekiah that you, you actually had this image of like the Gentiles were literally like coming down. And, and so similarly here, it, we have the description that the Babylonians who oppressed them, there are actually going to be the ones that Cyrus orders to come back and help and some of them are going to end up worshiping there in Jerusalem and how you know this, this Old Testament picture, how it's you know happening in a, in a small way, a limited way, is, uh, is, is just pointing forward to the, the fullness of that day when, you know, there's the, just the vision of Revelation, right, that you've got from every tribe and language and people and group on the earth uh, all mm-hmm. bowing down before the throne of the Lamb and shouting His praise, that um, it's it's just so universal in scope.
1: The, the other aspect that I have enjoyed about this chapter is it not that the people of God had to encourage Yahweh to do something it's more like he has been running toward them he found them yeah. he raised them they wandered he was persistent and now he has accomplished this great salvation for them and he wants them to participate in the joy of his love
0: yeah yeah that is interesting right like as uh, as much has been has been said, right? You know, because we actually had that language of build up, build up the highway, right? That was back in uh, chapter fifty seven, right? Where we where we had this, you know, uh, you know, build up, build up, and uh, you know, actually there even to remove every obstruction from my people's way. You know, back in back in chapter forty, when all this kind of got kicked off, it was you know, prepare the way of the Lord, make His path straight, like He was the one who's kind of coming, but like here it's almost like hey guys actually god's always been here the whole time it's <laughs> it's time for you to come on and and get on the way and to to go through the gates right i mean isn't that isn't that interesting right it's like uh god's actually telling them that they're the ones who need to like get a move on here uh and, and telling them to like enter in i mean it reminds me of uh how our lord you know when he gives his parable. i think it's the parable of I think it's the parable of like the the talents, right? I mean, like good good and faithful servant enter into the joy that your master has prepared for you, right? That that like enter in, right? That language of yeah, um, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. God God wants yeah. us to like enter into it. Like He's actually like preparing like the way like for us. You know, He's the one who is here. He's He's been here for us all, all along. He's come here. Of course, He's come here. And it, the incarnation of his son so it's it's we are the ones who need to stop being far away from from God and he's the one who actually makes that happen
1: Yeah, that's a fascinating comparison in the book of Ezekiel um, when God recreates the land and the city in chapters 40 through 48 he comes back but by the end of the chapter the people aren't in the land yet it's it's as if he's going to invite them back into what he has prepared for them he has prepared the bridal chamber he has prepared all of the incense, all of the oils, as much as a husband wishes to bestow upon his wife the goodness of his love, like Song of so- Solomon. Right. That's about to happen, and there to understand that wonderful joy as you as chapter sixty one ended.
0: Um, right. Yeah. yeah no, that, that's right. Yeah. The the, the wedding language is um, it actually it actually lends itself to this idea too, right? You think back of um, you know our Lord's own parables about wedding feasts right i mean isn't it interesting right i mean you're you brought up of course in john how his first miracle um, recorded there in john like happens actually at a wedding very appropriately but like all that wedding language that he uses and those uh those wedding processionals right and, and you got to kind of understand those wedding processionals to kind of make sense of like all those all those parables right but like the ideas of a uh, you know waiting in vigil for the, for the groom to show up, you know, with, uh, those who are attending him. Um, and then, you know, he, he enters in and then you can enter in as well. Like if you, if you have like the, well, you know, you have to be wearing the right garment, right. And there was of course the, the parable of the virgins who they have to have like a light that's still going right. So kind of all of these ideas like of light, of waiting to go in, of, of standing in vigil, of keeping watch and like all these things kind of tie together with that kind of like wedding procession idea, that which is a nice way of tying it together. Um, only like one minute left here, some, some concluding thoughts.
1: So what Isaiah gives to us through the Holy Spirit today is that Jesus makes his bride beautiful by cleansing her of every blemish. And we do not need, the Church does not need, individual Christians do not need to portray ourselves as glorious worldly institutions seeking after the riches and the admiration in the out of the world. Now, that is already ours in Christ in Jesus. Right now, it is hidden. Now, deeply hidden, but it will be revealed. And that's the big Amen. promise that encourages us.
0: Amen. Thank you, brother. So good having you on. God bless uh, the last little bit of this Advent season and your Christmas celebration.
1: And the Lord bless you also. And the hearers who will enjoy the revelation of the incarnation of our Lord Jesus
0: Christ. Amen. Until next time, everybody, peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod Office of
1: National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.